And now a reading. This from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses, beginning of verse 13, reading through the first verse of chapter 5 from the Common English Bible. We have the same faithful spirit as what is written in Scripture. I had faith, and so we also speak. We do this because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus, and he will bring us into his presence along with you. All these things are for your benefit. As grace increases to benefit more and more people, it will cause gratitude to increase, which results in God's glory. So, we aren't depressed. But even if our own bodies are breaking down on the outside, the person that we are on the inside is being renewed every day. Our temporary minor problems are producing an eternal stockpile of glory for us that is beyond all comparison. We don't focus on the things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. The things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can't be seen are eternal. We know that if the tent we live in on earth is torn down, we have a building from God. It's a house that isn't handmade, which is eternal and located in the heavens. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom for interpretation, and even more importantly, may God grant us the courage and the commitment to live out a faithful application of these words. Amen. Well, here we are, in person. There are also others joining us online or who will watch the service later. And none of our lives are exactly the same as they were before March 2020, the last time most of us met together inside this room. COVID took some loved ones from some of us. Our loved, our loved ones are gone from our lives for some reason or another, if not COVID, since we last gathered. Some of us have had COVID and escaped mostly unscathed. Others of us had it and still can't quite breathe as freely as we could before, or maybe have struggled with headaches or other symptoms ever since we had COVID. Or maybe we've battled depression ever since we had COVID, or our loved one is battling depression since they've had COVID. Those are just some of the side effects of the virus. Or because, because of these side effects of the most um, things that we've listed, the thing we cannot ever quite put our finger on fully, I think, is the effects of the extreme isolation that we've been experiencing. Most of us have never experienced social isolation like this in our entire lives. Life has certainly changed. We've said it a few times since March 2020. We've all changed since March 2020. Our beloved congregation is likely to never quite be exactly the same again. It would be basically impossible for all of this change in the world and in all of these millions of lives to have happened and for our church to remain exactly as it were before all of this stuff happened. It might even be unfaithful if we didn't change to meet the needs of the world as it is now. So I want to raise this very important question and attempt to talk about it for each of the next three Sundays we're together. What have we learned as a result of all of these challenges and changes that we have experienced? Next week in the sermon, we'll discuss how we've learned or been reminded that small sacrifices grow great love. And on June 20th, 
We'll talk about how fear and faith are almost inseparable. They walk hand in hand. Calling this three-part series Lessons from Lockdown in an attempt to salvage something good from the trying times that we have been facing. So for today, we're going to look at how we were powerfully reminded over these weeks and months and year even that the church is not a building. One of the very first things I remember learning while sitting on the steps of my childhood church's sanctuary was what Miss Alice did this morning with the kids, that little ditty where we folded our hands like we did a few moments ago and said, here's the church and here's the steeple and open the doors and see all the people. Now, I didn't run this by Alice. I should have to make sure what she was doing. And I'm not coming down super hard on, on that little ditty because she did a fine job of explaining it in a way that was very helpful. You notice the emphasis was on the people. So I want you to brace up for what I'm gonna say next, and that is that that can be, if not handled responsibly like Alice did, one of the singularly most harmful things we've ever taught our children in church. What? Yeah, well now you're just lost your mind. You know, you had a mask on too long or too tight or something, uh, and, and all of that stuff, no. Um, what I mean is, and people that we love may have taught us that saying, but maybe the explanation wasn't as quite as clear as Miss Alice's explanation. Um, you know, we have sentimental reactions to things like this sometimes without fully examining them, just like we do to other church-related stuff because we love the church and we love the people most of all in the church and we love the traditions in the church, certain hymns of the church, certain rituals, uh, many of which, by the way, have terrible, toxic, even hor horrible theological implications when examined through eyes that are not sentimental. And we can completely, completely neglect at times their implied meaning in theology. Here, here, you know, what, what can be gained, though, if we don't explain that? What can be lost if we don't explain that? Those are the questions I'm thinking of when we do something like that. Alice did, nailed it, did it beautifully, and made sure the emphasis was on the people when teaching about the church. But what about if someone taught that and didn't do it and they just stopped after each of the motions and said, here's the church. What does that look like? It doesn't look like a person, does it? That's the building. But if they say, here's the church, instead of here's the church building, by the time they get to people, those might be disconnected, especially in the mind of children. So what are we forming with our hands when we say, here's the church? Well, it's a building. Now, you could argue with me, that'd be fine. It wouldn't be the first time folks have disagreed, but you might think it's isolated and harmless little thing, but still, let's tease this out a bit. How many of us, at some point in our discussions about how our in-person services were either postponed or when we were surmising about when we might begin having in-person services again, maybe we use words like this. Well, our church has been closed since March 2020. Or maybe we said it like this. When do you think we'll reopen the church? I'll admit, I caught myself saying that a few times at first, but then I realized what that implied and what the deeper meanings of those kind of statements had behind them. Buildings are wonderful. In-person services, I bet uh, those of you who are here in person today are vastly more uh, powerful than watching this on a little screen and, and, and talking to each other through the comment section. And there's a lot of challenges we face there that we experienced on video being separated from one another. But friends, 
The building is not the church. The building is just a tool. Now, I, for example, I have some hand tools that were given to me, some by my dad, and some his dad gave to him that he's already passing on to me. And, and those tools are very special to me. And when I do something with one of those tools, it means more than just whatever task I'm doing. It connects me to that person, and it's special. But you see, they're still just tools. You see the difference? And so they're not my granddad. They're not my dad. Those are their tools. There's a connection, but it's different. So I hope by me laboring on a few minutes like this at this point, I, I will cause us to think about how we speak of the church because how we speak of the church has ramifications for how we live out our lives as the church. The church is not and never has been a building. The church is the people. So if you want to fold your hands and you want to insist on doing that little ditty, just put a couple words and correct it in there where it's clear. So, you know, you know, or else offer a beautiful explanation like Alice did earlier. The theology could be corrected pretty simply and should be made clear pretty simply. You could say, here's the church building. Here's the church steeple. Open the doors. The church is the people. Try that on for size. That's a little more clear, I think. Now, because it may imply that we can only be the church together if we meet inside a building, I'm still not a big fan of that because as we saw since March, church goes on wherever the people go on and wherever they meet the presence of God in their lives. So if lockdown has taught me anything, it's that we can be the church anywhere. It's reminded me of that. I hope it's reminded you of that, that anywhere we choose, anytime we choose, in countless and creative ways, we can be the church. Someone should ask Central Congregational United Church of Christ in Topeka, Kansas, one of our sister churches, if a building makes them a church. They sold their building a few years ago because they wanted to use all of the money they were spending on maintaining, heating, and cooling it on their community and on their ministries. Someone should ask First Christian Church in Oklahoma City, another, Christian, another sister congregation of ours, whose historic building, though an historic landmark, has become a liability then because of its roof. You see, the toxic materials when it was made many years ago and the prohibitive cost of continuing to meet there with utility bills and the thousands of dollars each month for a congregation of 50 to 100 people, it's impossible for them to make that sustainable, so they're selling they're building, they're going to take the money, and they're going to do more ministry than they have and expand their ministry and footprint. Or another beloved congregation close to my heart, the First Congregational United Church of Christ in Norman, the other congregation that I serve. It's a 15-year-old congregation that has chosen never to buy a building. They meet inside Memorial Presbyterian Church, and it's a lovely, lovely thing. They have a place, but they don't own it. It's met in a few different settings over the years, and not all of them are very churchy looking. You know something? Buildings can literally burn to the ground. Some of you have been a part of a church that burned. Or like one of my former congregations experienced, buildings can get so old they can even crumble and literally fall down. Mine was about to do that. But the church, it's not a building. The church is a people. And not just those in this fellowship, but the church is the collective one world now and for all time family of those who have committed their lives not only to caring for one another, but to healing the world by walking together as best as we can in the way of Jesus. As William Temple once put it, the church is the 
the church is one of the only organizations on earth who exists for those still outside it. We span generations in this thing we call the church. We cross all denominational boundaries. We're far from perfect. In fact, we're full of saints and sinners, most of whom have been both. We have varying creeds and doctrines. Some of us like lots of water when baptisms are performed. Some like just a sprinkle. Some worship loudly and others have well earned their nickname as the frozen chosen. Jesus is the cornerstone, but not the brick and mortar type. He's the inspiration for the ways we live out our faith and community and do so in connection to all of those who have gone on before us, realizing we will pass the torch one day to others as well. And we are living stones being formed into something better despite our flaws and weaknesses and imperfections and hypocrisies and failures, with each passing day, we are being formed and shaped and molded into this beloved community, even when our eyes fail to see it. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians in the scripture we read this morning in a book ironically called Second Corinthians. I say ironically, that is the title 2 Corinthians is ironic because it was actually Paul's third letter to the Corinthians. If you look back in the second chapter of this book we call 2 Corinthians, in verse 4, Paul refers to another letter entirely, one that was written, he said, in tears and anguish. And this letter was and remains lost to this day. So in the actual third letter, they say the third time's a charm, which we call 2 Corinthians, He's attempting to mend a very tense, maybe even damaged relationship with the Christians at the city of Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul digs deep down into the very bedrock of their faith community's existence. The Corinthians were buying into other leaders' teachings. Paul was feeling threatened, probably, and probably vulnerable, and like they were moving on without him or in a different direction than what he'd taught them. And it appears that they had all been through some type of persecution. Now, not a pandemic, but something inflicted most likely by other human beings intentionally. Nevertheless, like us, the thing we have in common, they had just lived through a very difficult period in their history. They were taxed. They were tired. They were beaten down, and so Paul goes deep in a last-ditch effort to reconnect with them. He doesn't try to offer a simple little uh, saying or something to oversimplify with, you know, and put hand motions to it. Uh, instead, he, instead of shrinking down and simplifying, he, he goes after their calling, and he appeals to their identity as the church. He, he does the opposite. Instead of making something simple, he shows them how huge their calling is. In fact, he connects their calling to be the church together to the bigger picture of the cosmos and the larger-than-life purposes of God. You might think your identity as the church is caught up in our strained relationships, I can almost hear him say. Or today, he might take a different angle. You might mistakenly think your calling to be the church has something to do with what color the carpet is when we remodel the sanctuary, he'd say in some churches. You might think your identity is caught up in what style of music you sing during the worship service. Or you might think your identity as God's church comes from whatever the sign says that hangs on the door or is printed on the front of the bulletin or by whatever denomination in which you happen to have been born. You might even think 
The church is the building. But you would be wrong, Paul would say. And then Paul, with keen, unswerving focus, tells his scribe, probably, to put the feather and the ink to the parchment for what he has to say next to the church, the people, not a building, that is, at Corinth. And I can almost imagine that he unfurrowed his brow after sweating out in his mind this powerful phrase before it got included in this third love letter to the church at Corinth. And when he did so, he wrote to them the first verse of chapter 5, and I, to me, it still rings out like a tuning fork across the centuries for all of the family of God, the church universal, and calls us to listen to its clarion perfect pitch with unmatched resolve. Hear those words again, chapter 5, verse 1. And we know that if the tent we live in on earth is torn down, we have a building from God. It is not a house made with human hands, but which is eternal and located in the heavens. Wait a minute. Didn't I just spend nearly 10 minutes telling you the church isn't a building, and now Paul just said we've been given a building from God? You didn't dream it, and thank you for listening if you wondered that at first. But it's a building that's not made of brick and mortar. It's a building that's not made with human hands. It's not a physical structure. It's a blended family. It's not handmade, unless you're talking about God's hands. It's eternal. It's larger than life, larger than the heavens, which is why it has to be located there when you try to describe it. Now, I don't have the time to give you all the reasons that we know that when these words here were translated in the heavens, that they were not speaking of an alternate reality or some kind of afterlife, but rather the size and the scope of God's purposes and what God is doing here. But you can take my word for it or, or give me some uh, reasons why you disagree. That's fine. But we hear almost 98% of the time when in the writings of Paul or in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, approximately 98% of the time when you hear the word heaven, they are talking about bringing heaven to earth, not sending earthlings off someplace to heaven. And my friends, the house that isn't made with human hands is the beloved community, the church with a capital C. It's not a building, it never has been, and the church never will be a building. We should take care of this beautiful place where we meet. In fact, we should even love it. You can love a building. But here's the thing. A building will never love you back. Only a church can do that. The building was closed. The building also did not deliver thousands of masks to other organizations and individuals since March 2020. You did that. The building did not make sure that children living near poverty or away from their parents had Christmas presents. You did that. The building did not flood your mailbox with heartfelt sympathy cards when your loved one passed away or when you were sick with get well cards since we last met the church. You did that. The building did not figure out new ways to navigate technology in order to worship together during the pandemic. The church did that. The building did not fight on against all odds and continue to sacrificially give of its income so that every single member of our staff, including myself, and every single one of our ministries could continue on and be supported and funded fully so that it could flourish. The church, you did that. 
The church will always need a time and a place to meet. But the pandemic taught us it doesn't even have to be inside a building. It reminded us the church has no walls, actually. And when we leave this space today, we've not left the church. But rather, the church will have left the building. For we know that if the tent that we live in on earth is torn down, we have a building that is from God. One not made with our own hands. Thanks be to God. Amen.